I just want to pause a moment and pray again for our team out at the prison. Lord, we're moved that you will allow us to have this kind of ministry as a church and as the uh, Kairos ministry. And right now, Lord, as we are here, they are there. Our brothers in Christ who are serving you in a very critical ministry. And I pray for them and I pray for the prisoners. Lord, that there will be just a, a strong, powerful movement of your spirit to change lives of some of these, uh, all of them, Lord, <laughs> men there who have, uh, for whatever reasons, gotten themselves in trouble. And I pray that the power of the gospel will change lives there right now, even as we're praying and as our good brothers in Christ are ministering among them. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate the Cartier family doing the candle of peace. Peace is a big part of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, before Jesus left the earth, in fact, while he was having that last meal with his disciples, he told them he was going away, and that troubled them. It troubled them. And he said, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus said, at this very disturbing time, and tomorrow when you see me crucified, you will be troubled again. But I offer you peace. Peace. Years later, as Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he spoke of this idea of peace. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Peace, peace. 
Now, Jesus wants peace on the earth. We sing about peace on earth, goodwill to men. But he's not talking about peace on earth here. Peace on earth begins with people who have peace in their heart. And that's a great advantage of being a Christian. It's one of the things that the writer of Hebrews was concerned about as he wrote this letter to his followers, to the the folks there in the church, this uh, Jewish church. They weren't experiencing peace. They were Christians, but they weren't benefiting from the Christian life. And many of them were turning back to Judaism, saying, this, this ain't working for me. This just isn't, it's not happening for me. Uh, being a Christian doesn't really change anything. There were people who would be talking to other folks and hearing how their marriage was going. And they would say, I'm married to a Christian, and it really didn't make any difference. People say, you know, you do business with a Christian, you do business with an I don't see any difference. My neighbor is a Christian, this neighbor isn't. I don't see any difference. And it's because people didn't get what it means to be Christian. See, a lot of people, we say, well, when you, if you become a Christian, when you die, you go to heaven. And you say, well, that's great. That's a real benefit of being a Christian. And so they think Christianity is like life insurance. It's a great deal, but you've got to die to collect. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying and what Jesus is saying is, no, this isn't something for another life. This is something for this life. And many people are living as if Christianity makes no difference in this life. And they're waiting until they die, and then the, the benefits kick in. Uh, uh, in October, we had a, uh, what do we call it, refresh, that ministry, that, that weekend we had. And, and uh, my dear friend, uh, Ryan Hartwig, and his family came. And Ryan was the speaker on a Friday night, and, and we did a thing on Saturday. Well, uh, we used some of my Marriott points to put them in a beautiful Marriott, one of these resort things. So they checked in. It was late in the afternoon, and they'd been hanging around there. And so they said, well, part of your place is clean so we can get you moved in and get you out of the lobby. So we all went down there. I didn't stay with them, but we went down there and, and <clears throat> went into this room. It was a lovely room. Very had a little kitchen and, and, and uh, a pull-out sofa where there was another bed and then the, 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 the bed. And there was a door to the, to the rest of the, the suite. And so the kids were all excited. Oh, so there's another bedroom. Yeah, so we get to sleep. Yeah, we'll work all that out. Well, a few minutes later, there was a knock on the door, and the person said, the rest of your place is ready. So just open the door. Well, they opened the door, and it was this huge living room and full kitchen and another huge bedroom with a big bathtub with a whirlpool bathtub in it and and a view out on a little pond and a patio. And so what we all thought was, this was it, this little room we were in first. Well, the little room we were in was the other bedroom. And when we opened that door, we said, there's a whole world here. There's a whole beautiful suite of rooms here. And I thought, how many points did this cost me? But (laughs) yeah, next year, Sarah, I'm making reservations, not you. Anyway. And a lot of people are living in a little bedroom. 
And there's a kitchen here. And we got a bathroom here. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, open a cotton-picking door. Because a lot of you are living with frustration and anxiety and disappointment and fear. Because you haven't entered into God's rest. And that's what Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about. If you turn there in your Bibles to Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, he talks about, and, and I mentioned last week that, that the, the book of Hebrews has a series of encouragement slash warnings. There's encouragement to move into a greater realm of life called the Christian experience. The full Christian experience of understanding what it means to be Christian and to live as God intended us to live. And the warning is, if you don't move into that life, you will miss out. How can we escape if we ignore this great salvation? How can you escape your family staying in this very nice little bedroom? You say that whole thing is over there, but yeah, we didn't even know it was there. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that this, this Christian life is an incredible way to live, but it only works if you participate in it. And if we reduce, now he's writing to, to people who had converted from Judaism, which was a religion, God-given, but it was about laws and rules and sacrifices and, 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 and rituals. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, this isn't about rituals and, and rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with the living Christ. It's about a relationship where you trust what he says. And you live the life that he has made it possible for you to live. Hebrews author discovered that many Christians didn't live life any differently than they did if they weren't, hadn't been Christians. And so he talked about it. He wrote this letter to say, I, I want to help you guys understand that, that even though as Christians now you are being persecuted, you were persecuted as Jews, and then you became Christians, and now not only are the Romans persecuting as Jews, your fellow Jews are persecuting you because you became Christians. And life is tough. A lot of you are going through some hard times. A lot of you are anxious. You're afraid. You're frustrated, he wrote. And I, and I get that, because life is tough. Life is hard. And some of you are saying, if I went back to Judaism, I, I wouldn't be ostracized from my community and in many cases from my family. So I, I'm I think I'm going to go back. And this whole letter is written to say there is no way of life on planet Earth that is as great as the Christian life. But the Christian life is only great if you live it. Open the door and enter in. It's a beautiful life. So, so he expressed these warnings and these encouragements. In chapter 3, verse 6, he said, We are God's house. <clears throat> and he uses the word house in the way it was used in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David said to God, I want to build you a house. 
I want to build you a beautiful temple. And God said to David, no, no, David, your son will build a beautiful temple for me, but I want to build a house for you. Well, what do you mean a house? Well, he's saying a dynasty. I'm going to build a, a, the house of David. It doesn't refer to a home or a building. It refers to a way of life. And, and part of that promise was that one of your descendants, somewhere down the road, one of these descendants, one of the kings of David in the Davidic line, will be called the Mashiach, the Savior. The one who comes and brings peace on earth. The one who brings new life, a new way of life, a whole new covenant, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of relating to God, a whole new way of relating to one another, a whole new way of relating to the world. David, that's the house I will build for you. And so when Matthew introduced Jesus in his gospel, he introduced Jesus as Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he said, well, wait a minute, Abraham was before David. Shouldn't it be the son of Abraham, then the son of David? No, no, the key element, the key element was not only did he fulfill all the, the promises made to Abraham by being born a Jew, he more specifically fulfilled the covenant made with David that one of David's descendants would change the world. And he would change the world one person at a time. One person at a time. And Jesus came into the world to change your life. And the writer of Hebrews was deeply concerned. And some of these people said, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I want to have this relationship with Jesus. But he's not changing my life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it's because you're not participating in it. You're not participating in it. So he says, we are God's house. We are God's house. We are part of this covenant community if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We are part of God's house if we participate in it. But to come on a Sunday and sit soaking sour and then go out and say, well, I'll be back next week. Get another shot of Christianity. It ain't working for me. Just wake up. Open a door. See what's out there. Look at that whole beautiful thing that Jesus said, this is yours. And you've been living in this nice little bedroom. And you say, Christianity, all that hot? Well, no, not in here. Get into it. Live it. Verse 8 of chapter 3, he said, do not harden your hearts. So don't, don't turn it off. Don't just say, well, it's not working. I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to be obstinate about this stuff. Verse 12, he said, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a relationship. This is something we enter into. It's something where we love God and we experience and understand that God loves us. It's just like a wonderful friendship or a wonderful marriage or any kind of a wonderful relationship where people are in love with each other and they care about each other and there's great confidence and great, pardon me, great peace in, in, in that relationship. But as we said last week, as, as the writer said in chapter 2, if we don't process this, if we don't get involved in it, we fall away from it. 
It grows cold. It grows distant. And there are many Christians who say, I, I don't really think about God. I, Jesus really isn't a part of my life. I don't pray to him. I read the Bible once in a while in church. But other than that, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're getting ripped off, Bubba. You're living in the little room. There's a whole suite out there. Enter in. But you have to enter in. You have to participate. You have to be part of it. That's why verse 13, the writer of chapter 3, the writer wrote, but exhort one another every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so not only should we be encouraging one another, we should certainly be encouraging ourselves every day. This isn't a, a, a once-a-week operation. It's an everyday operation. A time to meditate, a time to stop, a time to step back, to reflect on what it means to be Christian, to set a timer on your phone that buzzes, that says, take a minute, just pause for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, Son of God, my Savior, my Lord. Or when you're confronted with that tense moment, just, Lord, give me peace. Give me strength. September, when my retirement portfolio came in. Yeah. A lot of you are living on that kind of retirement income, aren't you? You say, I just got clobbered. I got kicked in the gut. Lord, give me peace. Went to the grocery store the next day. Got another kick in the gut. I never spent this much on groceries, and I didn't get as much today as I did the last time I was here. So prices are going up. Income is going down. Kind of scary. Where's this all going to end? Peace. Lord, give me peace. Let me trust you enough to say that this isn't all up to me. I am your child. You have promised to take care of me. Exhort one another every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ to be part of what it means to be Christian. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's just that periodic reminder, do I really believe this stuff? Or is this just something I sing about on Sunday? I used to tell my, stu I said to my student, these are college kids. Any of you ever wonder if any of this stuff is true? And you kind of look around, and I'm going to raise my hand. <laughs> so I raise my hand. I say, I wake up some morning, I wonder if any of this is true. I've never seen God. 
And sometimes things happen in my life. I say, if God loves me and God is all powerful, why in the world is this going on? So if you're never doubting God, you're not thinking. And so you have to go back and review, why do I believe this? Why would anybody believe this crazy message? That somebody 2,000 years ago died so that I could have a relationship with God? Have you ever been sharing the gospel with somebody? I've done this about it. And you get right to that point and you think, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. But it's true. God loves you so much that he does this incredibly extraordinary thing that we're celebrating. That this little baby, helpless little baby, the son of God, who came into the world to save you and me from sin and to give us a whole new life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace. Only I can give you peace in your heart no matter what. A few years ago, I was teaching a course to house church pastors in China. And my interpreter was a delightful little Chinese gal, just a beautiful little thing, and, and, and I noticed her shoes. My dad was a shoemaker, so I noticed shoes because my dad made shoes. And she had on a pair of loafers, and they were too big for her. Because in the rural place where she lived, there were probably only five pairs of shoes in that whole place, so they didn't fit her, but she took them anyway. So we're walking to breakfast, and it started to rain. And so she had an umbrella, and so she put the umbrella, and then she took her shoes off and picked them up and carried them under the umbrella. And she said, these are the only shoes I have. I can't let them get ruined. Wow. I know we have women in the United States who buy shoes just so other women can't have them. None, no, none of you. <laughs> so there's other women out there. So she's carrying her shoes, walking in her bare feet in the rain. <coughs> then at dinner, she kept me into the conversation by interpreting for me. And these, these pastors, these pastors, men and women pastors, incredible, incredible people. And they're talking about a new wave of arrests on pastors. And, and a number of them were talking about their experiences of being, having been arrested. And then my interpreter's husband, who was a pastor, I found out why his face was like it was. He had been beaten because he was a Christian, a house church pastor. But there was a joy and a peace and a confidence and a beauty there that I just felt such a privilege to be part of, to, to, to hear them talk and for them to accept me as one of them. What a, what a privilege. I wasn't one of them. I don't know what would happen to me if I was afraid one of the pastors was struggling with a decision. His parents were encouraging him to stop being a pastor because they said it's not just about you and your family they're coming after us too 
And if you get put in prison and they kill you, we have to take care of your family and we have barely enough to take care of ourselves. So as a good son in the Chinese culture, we're telling you, you have to stop this because we're afraid. But there was a peace, a peace that passes understanding. Peace I give you, not as the world gives. The world can't give you that, but I can. So in these days of frustration, anxiety, concern, all the stuff that's going on, you know, I got my kids through it, and I thought, big sigh of relief, and then the grandkids come along. You start all over again. Peace, peace, confidence. To help them understand what he was talking about, what this entering into God's house, entering into this life by believing God, by trusting God, he went back in their own history about 1,400 years earlier in the Jewish history. And talked about their ancestors who were at the brink of entering the promised land. Moses had brought them out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. I mean, my goodness, the ten plagues. They had seen God over and over and over again. Worked this incredible process of getting them delivered (coughs) from Egypt. And getting them across the Red Sea. And then he provided manna for them. All this kind of stuff. And so now they're ready to go in, ready to head into the promised land. And they sent spies in to check it out. Twelve spies. They came back, ten of the twelve spies said, we can't go in that land. Ain't never going to happen. They're big walled cities. They're giants, trained armies. Look at us, a bunch of slaves. We can't go in that land. And they begged God. They pleaded with God, please don't make us go in that land. God answered their prayer. And that generation of Israel spent 40 years wandering aimlessly, meaninglessly around the desert, going no place, going in circles until they died. And I thought, what a picture of many people's life. I just am living until I die. I'm going no place. I have no goals, I have no purpose, I have no peace. Life is just a frustrating existence until I die. Isn't this exciting? (laughs) It's tragic. It's tragic. But it's pretty typical of life for many people. It was in Moses' day. It was in David's day. It was in Jesus' day. And it is in our day. And Jesus said, I'm giving you a whole new way of life with meaning And purpose, the Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples. I'm here to change the world, and I'm inviting you to be part of it. 
and I'm offering you a, a, a purpose and a meaning. And at the end of Psalm 90, which Moses wrote during that time when they were wandering in the wilderness, that psalm ends with these sad, sad words, Oh, Lord, give meaning to the work of our hands. Just give meaning to the work of our hands. Let our lives mean something. Let our lives make a difference. Give us a reason to be exalted. We're just going around in circles. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to his readers, to you and me and to the readers of his time, don't live that way. Don't live that way. Peace comes to you by saying this day was lived with purpose and meaning. And the purpose and meaning is all grows out of my relationship with Christ and my service for him and this whole business of being a, a steward for him. Jesus understood that life was going to be tough. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, get in the harness with me. Get involved with what I'm doing in the world. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And there are Christians who aren't yoked up with Jesus. They're living as if God doesn't even exist. The message of the Hebrews author wanted his readers to have cemented in their mind is that Jesus is able to give you an incredible life, but you have to participate in it. It's a relationship with him. Hebrews 4 is telling us we enter God's rest when we pray that God will not only give us faith to believe, he will do what we ask him to do. But he gives us a faith that trusts him even when he does what we ask him not to do. Let me say that again. Hebrews 4 wants us to have a kind of faith that not only believes that God will, ask, will do what we ask him to do, but that trusts God when he does what we ask him not to do. Which sometimes, often, happens. And that's when God's rest comes and says, God, you are sovereign. You are God, I'm not. I trust you. I, I, I want to share a prayer that Jeanette prayed. One night we were praying together and I said, stop, I got to write this down. She had just come back from the doctor and found out that her lungs, she was going to die an agonizing death. Her lungs were growing nodules and she would eventually strangle, die because she couldn't breathe. My dear brother understands some of that, don't you? And she said, Lord Jesus, deliver me from the suffering this disease brings on people. But if you want to teach me something grand through my suffering, give me the courage to suffer nobly so that you are honored by it and give me the wisdom to embrace whatever you are teaching me. Peace. Rest. You are sovereign. I trust you. I believe you. That is the rest Hebrews is talking about. To be able to come to our great high priest and say, Lord, don't just give me the faith to believe you will do what I'm asking you to do. 
but give me the faith to trust you no matter what you do. That's peace. Peace in my heart because I serve an all-powerful God who loves me that much and that much. Enter into God's rest. Open the door. See the whole place and walk through the door and live the life that God has allowed us and made it possible for us to live.